0: Well, guys, it is so cool to hang out with you today. This is my second time preaching in this location, and um, a few things I've noticed. Obviously, the seats are so much better than they were at the School of Rock. I know, the sound quality is so much better. I, I don't drink coffee, but I've heard that the coffee is a lot better here, too. And when I was like getting ready to walk in and I saw the iPad like receipt printing thing, I was thinking to myself, official church, which used to be my thing. If you don't know that, I'm sorry, that used to be my thing. I would announce, you know, like once or twice a day, it felt like that we had done something to become an official church. So, hey, maybe it is when your youth pastor comes back and preaches a second time, you become an official church. That's what we're going to go with today. So, anyway, hi everybody. My name is James Burkston. And, uh, and I want to start out this morning by taking you back to a very good time in my life, the summer of 2005. Yeah, summer of 2005. Summer of 2005, I, let me give you a background. I was uh, finishing my first year of seminary, and so I went to seminary in British Columbia, so I was way, way, way up there. But I was from Nebraska. And I had worked for my brother-in-law on a farm out in South Central Nebraska off and on for like 12 summers. And so a few of my friends and I decided we were going to have one last great summer of glory in Nebraska. And so I did that. I came back for the summer. One summer farming. I was going to live. We lived in this small town called Funk, Nebraska, population like 350, tiny little town. And, uh, And one of the most important things about the summer was that my friends and I, we decided to swear off women. There's going to be no women in our lives during this summer. It's going to be a summer of dudes. You know, we're just going to have a guy summer and whatever, whatever that, whatever's involved in that. Anyway, so it is, it was May 8th, 2005. It was Mother's Day and I was at, it was at the church that I grew up in, Trinity Church in Holdridge, Nebraska. And, And I'm in church Whatever, things are great. I'm seeing a bunch of people for the first time since I'm finally back for the summer. And I remember after the service was over, I was walking around saying hello to people when I saw Emily. Emily is my wife. I'm sorry, that goes further into the story. But I saw Emily, and and I remember thinking to myself, all right, there's Emily. And so she and I had like a two minute conversation right after church was over. And I'll just give you a little bit of backstory on Emily. She was married. She was married to a guy, she had Gavin and Chloe, our oldest two children, and she found out that he had been really unfaithful, multiple affairs, he leaves her, and so that is where I was talking to her, right on the tail end of that. So I don't even know, like the whole divorce thing was kind of up in the air, and there was, there was just a lot of hard stuff happening in her life at the time. And so she and I had a conversation, and I remember walking away from her going, okay, she's pretty cool. Well, fast forward like three weeks later, two, three weeks later, and my, <clears throat> my friend and I were in Old Chicago in Kearney, Nebraska, and we're sitting in there doing what you do in Old Chicago. I was probably hammering some, some pepperoni rolls or something like that, when who walks by me but Emily? Emily goes walking by, and I went, whoa, 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 whoa wait, wait, wait. What are you doing here? Because when I saw her in Holdridge on May 8th, I just assumed that she was in Holdridge visiting her parents because she had lived in Lincoln. I knew that she had been living in Lincoln, so I just thought she was home visiting her mom. Her mom, you know, Mother's Day, whatever. So she walks by, I stop her, and I'm like, what are you doing here? And she says, well, with everything going on in my life, I thought it would be a good idea, you know, for me to to get back into the workforce, And, and I knew I couldn't do that with really small children, and so I'm back living with my parents for a while while I get my feet back underneath me, and and so we just kind of talked for a little bit, and again, you know, she's working, so she can't, like, have a 10-minute conversation with us. So she goes, oh, I got to go. I got to get back to my tables. And as she walks off, I go, wait, Emily, hold on a second. I don't know if I, I, don't know if I can say this to you or not, but you are looking really good. <laughs> and the moment the words came out of my mouth, I wanted to jump into the atmosphere in front of me and grab all of the air that had escaped me and put the words back into my mouth because I couldn't believe that I had said those words out loud. I couldn't believe it. I was devastated. I was completely 100% devastated by those words. And, and I looked at her and she smiled and whatever and she said, thank you. I can't remember exactly what she said. We'll probably have a conversation about it later today. But she, she, she smiled, whatever, and then she walked off And I turned to my friend's mom, and I looked her with this look of complete terror on my face, and I said, I can't believe I just said those words. I can't believe I said that to her. Is it okay with everything that's going on in her life? Is that that even an appropriate thing for me to say to her? And she looked at me and with, with wisdom, like great wisdom. She looks at me, and she says, well, from my experience, a woman always likes to hear that she looks good. Yeah, I know, right? And so I went from utterly, completely, totally devastated, totally mortified to only slightly less, completely, totally, absolutely mortified. But as I fast forward into our story, it was a couple months later. Well, we started to hang out kind of after that. A little bit. A few months later, we started to officially date. I know, right? A few months after that, we officially got engaged. And a few months after that, She walked down the aisle to me, and she became my wife. And all of it, all of this story I'm telling you, all of it traces back to a moment, one single moment in old Chicago when there was something that happened that was incredibly risky. It was really risky. You know, guys throw out pickup lines all the time. I'm not saying, well, it's risky to throw out a pickup line. But considering what was happening, considering her life, Those words were very risky, and so I just want to let you guys know that it was that risk that changed so much for me. I am 100% convinced that I'm standing here right now with you guys in this moment because of that moment, because of that risk, because of putting myself out there in that moment I'm here. So that was a risk that changed it all for me. So today we're going to talk about risk. We're going to talk about risk. And today's truth statement, I wish you had a worship flyer, Travis, Sorry. but you don't. So here's the truth for today. It requires risk to follow Jesus. It requires risk to follow Jesus. I'll say it one more time, and then I'll say it a bunch more later, but it requires risk to follow Jesus. Because I am convinced that God has something special in store for every single one of you. For you. For you. For you. For all of us, for you guys in the back, for everybody in this room, that God has something special for you. He wants to do something through all of us, but that's going to require risk. It's going to require risk, and when I, when I say this, I want you to trust these words that are coming out of my mouth. It's a risk that's worth taking, and it's a risk that's going to change it all. It's going to change it all. And so let me tell you a story from the Bible that's about risk. If you have your Bible, I would love it if you would turn with me to to Matthew 14. If you don't have a Bible and you have it on your phone, awesome, go to Matthew 14. And if not, it's going to be right there. Nicely done. It's going to be up here so we can follow along together. So let me give you a quick backdrop before we get to these verses. In Matthew 14, you have Jesus speaking to a group of over 5,000 people. Because Jesus was a big deal, and the words that came out of his mouth were a big deal. And so where he went, a crowd went too. And so on this particular day, he's preaching to 5,000 people, and it gets to be that time where everybody in the crowd is like, my stomach kind of hurts a little bit. I'm I'm feeling pretty hungry. And so it came time for for them to eat, and and the disciples were like, well, let's just send them home. And Jesus said, no, 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 bring the food to me. And Jesus took a small amount of food, and he blessed it, and he multiplied it, and he fed over 5,000 people, which is a gigantic miracle. So here's the front end of what's happening here. So then Jesus says to his disciples, I want you guys to get in a boat and go over there. And while you're doing that, I'll dismiss the crowd of people, and then I'm going to spend some time to myself. I'll meet you somewhere. That's the backdrop to this story that is happening right now. So with with me right now, Matthew 14, 23 through 29. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat, with the disciples in it, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So the situation here is that Jesus says, hey guys, go. And he looks out and he recognizes they're not getting where they're supposed to get. Because of the wind, because of the waves, they were in a tough spot. And so Jesus is like, Okay, I, well, I, I'm not going to guess what Jesus was thinking in that moment. But, but put yourself in the disciples' shoes in that moment. Jesus has said, this is where I want you guys to go. They get out there. They start going where they're supposed to go, and then the waves come up. And I would imagine a lot of these guys were experienced seamen. They had spent time fishing and whatnot. They knew, they knew what to do in a boat. And so there they are. They're hanging out, and, and the waves come up, and the winds come up. And I would imagine that they were pretty afraid. They started to get a little bit afraid, like, uh, I'm not sure exactly how this is going to play itself out. Are we safe here? And so I would imagine they were all pretty frightened. And so moving on in verse 25, it says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Odd. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And then Peter, you know, is Peter. He says, Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, then tell me to come to you on the water. So again, imagine you're a disciple, you are sitting in the boat. Now, like I just said, like 30 seconds ago, a lot of these guys had spent a significant amount of time on the water. Now imagine if you've done that your whole life, and you're now seeing somebody walk across the water. I have not spent a ton of time on on a lake. I have not spent a ton of time on water in general. But in the limited amount of time that I have spent on water, I have never, ever, ever seen anybody walk on water. I have never seen anybody walk on water. And if I had, I would probably be in the same exact mindset as the disciples, which is, oh my word, that's a ghost. Because they had probably never, no, I'm, I'm sure but They had never seen anybody walking on water. And so they were terrified. It's a ghost. But Jesus recognizes the fear. He sees the fear inside of them. And he speaks to them. And he says, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's me. Guys, I got it. It's me, Jesus. And then Peter is Peter. And if you've, if you've spent time looking at Peter, this was, he, he, was, he was really great in moments. He was really tragic in moments. And he just kind of like swung from the two extremes all of the time. Well, this is a moment where Peter's got some good stuff going on. And he says, Lord, if it is you, if it's you, tell me to come with you on the water. So I don't know if you've ever heard anybody preach these specific verses. There are books written about these verses. There are sermon after sermon after sermon preached about these verses, and, and they're all about Peter and his great faith and everything. And, and I, I think that Peter showed great faith in this moment, too. Don't get me wrong. But I would imagine in that moment, there was a little bit of Peter in the back of his head where he was thinking to himself, he's not going to say, come out there. <laughs> he's not going to. I'm just going to say this, and it's going to be cool. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But verse 29, verse 29 of this incredible story, Jesus' response to Peter Jesus could have said anything. He could have laid it out. He could have like said, all right, guys, let me, t- let me talk to you guys for a little bit. Here we go. Listen over the words that are going to come out of my mouth right now. Verse 29, it says, Jesus is saying these words. He says, come. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. Has there ever been a more understated verse in the entire Bible? Like those are 19 words. 19 words. Let me read these words to you again. Come," he said, then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. Just like that. It's like I was telling you about my morning this morning. You guys, I woke up this morning at 7:30. I had a few pieces of toast, took a shower, got dressed, and then I drove here. Like what I just said to you is not significant. It doesn't matter. I can say it to you like that. If 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 I'm going to say, "Dude, I, guys, I just walked on water." That's a huge deal. And yet here in the Bible, we've got 19 words to say. Jesus said, come, and Peter did it. We can fly right over these verses and miss the huge significance of this moment. It understates, it's incredible what happens here. What Peter did was a huge deal. What Peter did was a gigantic, massive deal. He pushed all of his chips in. He went all in. He put his money where his mouth was. He couldn't sit on the sidelines anymore talking about how good he was going to be when he went in the game. He had to get in the game. He had to take a risk. Imagine if you're Peter. You say, hey, if it's really you, tell me to come out there. And Jesus says, come. And so you're Peter, and you're walking to the edge of the boat. And you're putting your hand on the edge of the boat. And you're reaching your leg over the boat and you're getting ready to put that first foot in the water, that first foot, and you're six inches over the water, what are you thinking? And your foot is three inches over the water, what are you thinking? One inch above the water, what is he thinking in that moment? Because he's been in water a lot. He's been around a lot of water. And I know that he's done this a bunch of times and never experienced what he is experiencing in this moment. Because something different, he is expecting, he is trusting that something different is going to happen. Come. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. It requires risk to follow Jesus. Peter took a risk. He placed his faith, his trust in Jesus, and he did something that is unimaginable. He did the unthinkable He did something that only Jesus had done. He walked on water. He walked on water. A guy just like you, and you, and you, and you, a guy just like anybody in this room, he walked on water because he took the risk to put all of his trust and all of his faith in Jesus. What about the other guys? What about the disciples that were sitting in the boat? They're watching what is getting ready to happen. I can't help but feel like there's a chance that they were in there taking bets. What do you think? How do you think this is going to go down, guys? Do you think that they got in line behind him like, if Peter's going to do it, we're going to do it next? Do you think that they were like, all right, everybody, huddle up, quick, quick, we got to pray for Peter. We got to pray for him right now. We only know that Peter took that risk, and he trusted who Jesus was, and he got to be a part of a miracle because of it. He got to live a miracle because he was willing to take a risk. So how can we in this room become more like Peter? How can we each get out of our metaphorical boat? Because each and every one of us is there. We're in the boat, and we're looking around like, is this it? Or maybe you're happy here. Maybe you're like, man, this is, this is comfortable. I got this. But, but there's a miracle out there that Jesus wants for us. There's a miracle outside the boat that he wants us to experience, an adventure to live. And are we going to get out of the boat? Are we going to stay right here, where we know life is what it is? See, there has to be a paradigm shift in the way that we perceive risk. You have to embrace risk. Embrace it as your friend. And you have to see comfort and safety as your enemies. Risk is your friend, not your enemy. See, I've lived my life as a risk assessor. We've all lived our lives as risk assessors, where, moment by moment, we are living our lives with our head on a swivel, looking at what is around us, going, is this a risk that's worth taking? Should I go do this? I don't know. I might put myself out there. And who knows what's going to happen then? And I, as a youth pastor, I see it in my middle schoolers, I see it in my high schoolers, where they're like, you can say that they want to do something, but they just don't have the courage to do it, because the risk involved is just too much for them. And I want to just boot them in the rear and say, get out there, do it, try it, that's where you're going to really live. We tell ourselves that the best way to live is risk little, and you'll have little failure, If you risk a ton, if you live life with great risk, you will have great opportunities to fail. And so we settle. We settle. Well, I don't want us to settle anymore. I don't know about you guys, but I watched a lot of the Olympics. I watched a ton of the Olympics this summer, and I, I thought it was incredible to consider these athletes who compete one time every four, well, one time on the Olympic stage every four years. What is involved in their lives? Every calorie is counted. Every workout matters. Every weight they lift, every every moment of their lives is planned out so that when they get to the Olympics, they will be at their absolute most peak. And for some of them, that's a 10-second peakness. For some of them, it's a 20-second thing. For some of them, it's a minute. For some of them, it's an hour. For some of them, it's a tournament. But for a ton of them, it's a very short amount of time where they have their opportunity to do something great. When I think about what it means to be an an Olympic athlete, it takes a ton of risk. It takes a great threshold of risk to be an Olympic athlete. And so I want to show you guys two videos. Because when I think about risk, I think about the balance beam. Because this balance beam is like this wide. And you watch the people get up there. And the whole time that they're up there, I'm like don't fall, don't fall, I can't, it's like like you want to look, but you can't look, but you want to look, but you can't look, because it seems so scary to do it, and I've been up on a balance beam a time or two, and it was not good, and so I want to show you guys a video, this is the gold medal winning balance beam routine from 2016 Rio Olympics. pretty good. That's pretty good, right? She's up there doing all kinds of wild stuff. She's like spinning around and like doing crazy flips and stuff. You want to see me do it, don't you? <laughs> she puts it all out there. She, she risks great injury. She risks falling and looking so stupid. Well, let me contrast what you just watched with this video. Watch this video.
1: Everything seems to be falling apart. And we Sorry for the quality. Worried. We get a little scared. And this is what Christians do. You know, they try to serve God, but then things get a little rocky. And things get a little unstable. And so we go, okay, that was nuts. I don't, I don't want to live like that. Let me, uh, let me hold on. And this is your routine. This is what so many people do. They go, you know what? I'm not going to try anything crazy. I'm just going to sit here and uh, I'm just going to hold on. And uh, this is what you look like. You just go, uh, this is what people do. You know what, I'm just going to have my nice little family. We're just going um, you know, to keep to ourselves. We're going to live in a gated community. My kids, make them wear helmets everywhere. I'm going to, um, you know, I'm not going to let them outside because sun has bad rays. I'm going to, um, you know, just on and on and on. And you just live your life in the safety of, I don't want to do anything crazy for God. I just, I just want to, you know, go to church on Sundays and maybe give like 2% um, and uh, maybe serve, help the nursery because I feel guilty. And then you do this your whole life and then you, you go, your greatest prayer is like, God, you know what? I would love to die in my sleep and not even feel it and then just go up to heaven. And so you want to die like this just in your sleep, ooh, right in the middle of a dream, good dream, the dream, you're going to heaven and you don't even feel it, and then suddenly you wake up, you stand before the judge, and you go. (laughs) Now, if... uh, Could you imagine... Could you imagine watching the Olympics, you know? And some girl does that, just gets up there, starts straddling the thing, and then steps off and goes, (laughs) what is the judge supposed to do on the card? You see, and to me, I go, man, that's the routine that so many Christians are headed for. That's the routine, the boring, I do nothing crazy because I don't want to fall. that's the routine that they're gonna live and then one day it's gonna be a shock because they're gonna step off that balance beam and realize they're standing before the judge they're standing before the judge and you think he's gonna look at that routine and go Wow well done well done you live the safest life possible you didn't slip you didn't fall See, that's not the life that God's called us to. That's where the majority will head, but I don't want to go where the majority goes.
0: Ah. When you think about your life, when you think about where you're at right now, how are you living? Are you living your life clutching the balance beam? Are you standing up there, spinning around, living a risky, risky life? I know for me, that that video hits me right here because I flee to safety. I retreat to the safety of the boat over and over and over and over again. And there there was a line in that video where Francis Chan said, I don't want to go where the majority will head. And I want that to be a true statement for every single one of you in this room. I don't want to go where the majority will head. Because I want our lives to be different. I want your life to be different than the average Christian life of straddling, hugging that balance beam, looking for safety at every turn. But that's going to require risk. I don't want my life as a Christian to look like that. I don't want to come to the end of my life feeling like that, like I did everything that I could to minimize risk and to not put myself out there, only to miss what life is actually worth living for. Because I know that God has not given us a spirit of fear. He hasn't given us, it's not inside of us from God to have a spirit of timidity. It says it in 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, "For, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. God doesn't operate in a fear-based way. He's not trying to create fear in us to create change in us. Fear isn't a part of love. Love love gets rid of fear. I didn't wake up this morning thinking to myself, Emily's going to leave me today. Because her love has convinced me of it. Because the love that she shows me is as good a love as I've experienced. It's as whole of love as I've experienced from a human being, and because of that, I don't live in that fear. God loves you, and because of that, fear isn't a part of that. So if you are experiencing fear, it is not from God. And so he wants to get rid of that fear. He wants you to live in in power and love and self-discipline. The truth is is that as Christians, we should be the most risk-taking people on the entire planet. And not, okay, let me clarify what I mean by risk. Because I'm not talking about base jumping, skydiving. I'm not talking about free climbing. I'm talking about taking the risk and embracing the mission that God has set every single one of us on when we claim to have Jesus in our hearts. To help people find Jesus. To help people understand why they need Jesus to be their savior. That is a risk that is worth living for. It requires risk to follow Jesus. But as Christians, we should be the most risk-taking people on the planet. Let me read you another set of verses, and, and it's just another way of looking at the same idea. It comes from Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and whoever but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Take up your cross and follow me. It's a selfless act of putting every single person on this planet ahead of yourself. That's how Jesus walked through his life. It was the value that he placed on every single person in his life and in his death. Take up your cross and follow me. I don't know, that that path to the cross was a risky one. But that's the life that I want. I want to say, I'm not clinging to the balance beam anymore. I want to say, I'm outside of the boat. Because that's where the miracle happens. That's where I want my life to be. So there's a, there's, a, there's a passage in the New Testament in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 11. It's actually called the chapter of faith, the chapter of faith. And so I believe that risk is actually a part of pleasing God. Risk is a part of pleasing God. And so I want to read you Hebrews eleven six. 6. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I think that faith is risky. So I want to just take faith and risk, and I want to swap them out here. Without faith, so back to the beginning of this verse, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without risk, it is impossible to please God. Because if you're settling for what you can accomplish on your own, if you are living your life in your own strength, in your own power, doing all the things that you want to do, you will miss out. You will miss out on the adventure that God has in store for you, on the fullest life that you can live. Taking God-sized risk, experiencing God-sized moments, praying God-sized prayers experiencing God-sized answers, you will see God-sized things happen. But where is God in the moments where we are risking little? It was outside of comfort that miracles happened. The miracle didn't happen while we were clutching the balance beam. The miracle didn't happen while we were inside the boat. Back to Hebrews 11, if you read that chapter, you you will see a list of people from the Bible that you have probably all heard about and the things that they've done. I just want to highlight a few. There was Abraham, who was the father of the Israelite people. God called him to pick up his life, his very successful life, and move to a distant land. He also told him, man, you're going to have more, more kids than there are stars in the sky. And Abraham was a very, very old man. God said, get up and go. And Abraham did it. He took the risk. And he followed God, and he followed the plan that God had for his life, and God blessed him because of it. Noah. Noah got told the most ridiculous thing that any human being has ever been told by God I want you to build a gigantic boat on dry land. But he did it, and because of that risk, he was rewarded, and he experienced the miracle of God. David. David stood in the face of a giant when every single other person was cowering in fear, hiding looking for somebody else to do what they, what they didn't think they had it in them to do. And it was a small boy. It was a young boy who had the power of God inside of him, who took the risk and rose up to the challenge in front of him, not in his strength, but in God's, and experienced a miracle. Esther, Queen Esther, her people were about to be exterminated. And so she went and stood in front of the king. And the king could have killed her. The king could have said, you know what, I don't like what you're saying right now. I'm done with you. You're gone. She took the future of her people and put it right on her shoulders and walked to the king to plead for them, to plead that he would save them. And then there's Peter and John. Peter and John, after Jesus had died, rose again. There's Peter and John. They're They're in public talking about Jesus, talking about the Savior talking about how people can find hope in Jesus in the resurrection the life death resurrection of Jesus and they were arrested and they were beaten and they were told guys we can't kill you but if you better not go talk about Jesus this had better be the last time we hear about you two talking about Jesus and what did they do the second that they got out I got chills They went after it again, talking about Jesus. They took the risk, and because of the risk, they were blessed. Because of that risk, they experienced life, the fullness of life outside the boat. So today is your day. For you to live your mission, to go after it, don't let the fear of losing what you have now keep you from what God has for you. Don't let the lies that Satan is going to tell you keep you from experiencing the power of taking risks. It requires risk to follow Jesus. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Satan wants you to stay in the boat. Satan wants you to clutch the beam. Jesus came to destroy that to bring you to the place where you can experience, where you can live the fullness of life. That's how I want, when when I get to the end of my life, I want to be able to say, I lived my life to the fullest because I followed Jesus, because I lived my life like this, ready for whatever it is that he called me to do, ready to follow Jesus into whatever he called me to do. Let's get practical. Let's get really practical right now. What is the risk that God is calling you into right now, today? What is the risk that God may be calling you to right now, today? Is He calling you to go somewhere? Is He calling you to go back to a person that has hurt you over and over and over again and reconcile? Is he calling you to forgive somebody that you don't feel like you can forgive? Is he calling you to to go after a relationship beyond the bachelorette and fantasy football? Is he calling you to move past what is comfortable and safe in your relationships? Don't settle. Don't cling to the beam. But get out. Get out from under that and find fullness of life. I want to close with a verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. These are like some of the most famous verses in all of the Bible. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. It is so easy for us to lean on our own understanding. It works for us to trust ourselves most of the time. But because of that, we miss out on something that's greater. We miss out on something that's bigger because we trust ourselves and not God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart in all things. Put all of your hope in him. Lay all of your fears at his feet. Get out of your boat. Stop hugging the balance beam and then follow him into the great adventure that he has planned for your life. That's where miracles will happen. That's where your lives will change. That's where the lives of the people around you will change. That's where your life is really lived. Remember that it, takes, it requires risk to follow Jesus. <clears throat> David took a huge risk when he took that first stone and put it in the slingshot. Noah took a huge risk when he drove that first nail into that first board. Peter took a huge risk when he did this and stepped out of the boat. I took a small risk compared to those risks when I said, hold on a second, Emily, I got something to say. But in all of these situations, what happened changed it all. And that's what I want for you. Will you take that risk Will you take the risk to follow Jesus, living your life like this into whatever it is that he has for you? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I, I hope and pray that every single one of us in this room right now is ready right now in this moment to go after whatever it is that you have for us. But I know that there are fears, there are lies floating around that are floating around in our head. And so right now, I am asking you to do something that, that is so much bigger and so much greater than we can will ourselves to. I'm asking you to, to, to remove the fear and bring truth to each and every one of our heads, to follow you into something significant. God, I'm thankful for the story of Peter walking on water and for the truths that we can pull from it and the way that it can impact the lives that we live. Because, God, I want every single person in this room to be able to say, I lived my life to the fullest. Not for me, but for people. Not for the things that I wanted for myself, but for the things that you had for me. And so, God, I pray that you would bring us to a place, do whatever it is that you have to do, so that you can bring us to a place where we live our lives with our hands open where we are inviting you to do whatever you want to do at any given moment to bring about whatever change that you want to bring about inside of us. God, I pray that we would live the risky life, that risky life following you. Bless us for it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.